Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guest today is Javier Mancilla, a quantum machine learning researcher at Stafford Computing and co-author of a new book on financial modeling using quantum computing. Javier describes his work, particularly its applications in the financial sector. Despite the limitations of current NISC machine, Javier suggests that quantum computing can be useful through the use of simulators for quantum machine learning. He shares case studies of banks in Brazil and Portugal, talks about his new book, and much more. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, Javier, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Yuval. It's a pleasure. The pleasure is mine. So who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so my name, as you, as you know, is Javier Mancilla. I'm working for, I don't know, the last five, six years in quantum computing, especially at the beginning, machine learning, mainly in the finance sector. But uh, all the, these last four or five years, trying to bring the quantum computing and especially quantum machine learning to, to the industry and particularly in the finance sector. I think a lot of companies understand that one day quantum machine learning will be effective for them, but they really want to know how soon. What do you think? How soon before it becomes a practical production tool? Yeah, this is a great question because uh, there is a lot of things around this question, right? So in the market, a lot of hype, a lot of like uh, people having opinions that they're not aligned. So uh, what in my viewpoint, what is happening is that uh, there is a lot of investment from 2018 in quantum computing. And a few of these efforts are related not only in quantum hardware, but also in quantum software, okay? So quantum software is related to how actually you can grab a little bit of advantage of the devices that we have or eventually simulators and emulators to bring something that could be useful for, for the market, especially in my, in my area, it's, it's the finance sector, which always it's selected at the top five, top three, like use cases for, for quantum computing. So in my viewpoint, the reality now, especially in this year, is that we need quick wins, okay? and I'm pretty sure, and a lot of people will be agree with me, is that NISC machines are not ready to operate, uh, like, I mean, in the market level, so industry level. Because if you need to, for example, create uh, great scoring systems using machine learning, using quantum, or creating fraud detection, you need, like, real-time responses. So this is not the reality now. And the quality of the outcome of these devices are potentially, like, not the best because we have the noise, we have the errors and everything that a lot of people are aware of it. So what we can do in the meantime? So is something useful in quantum computing now? If we talk about hardware, perhaps we need to just explore for now. It's not something that we can really use. Uh, of course, I'm living at a side D-Wave, okay? I'm talking about gate-based quantum computing because D-Wave have longer history like trying to create use cases and it's a different journey. I think it's fair enough to consider them as a potential use cases, especially for optimization. But you can do something with simulators, for example, for quantum machine learning. So you can start using some simulators and see how quantum approaches can start giving you some, what I call a business quantum advantage, or like, let me rephrase, quantum business advantage, which is not surpassing all the classical methods, but surpassing your current stack of solutions. So this is 
something that I'm doing for the last, I don't know, 24 months, implementing these things, and we are seeing good results using, for example, for credit scoring, quantum support vector classifiers or quantum neural networks, in this case, variational classifiers, for example. So we have a lot of cases that we can implement or techniques, but based on simulators that at the end, we can change the backend and try to run, of course, with, uh, with real quantum computers. But the simulators today, I would guess, can do 30, 40, 50 qubits. And so let's even assume that you had a perfect quantum computer that had no noise, but it still has 50 qubits. Is that enough or do you really need thousands or hundreds of thousands of qubits to do something effective? Yeah, for optimization, uh, it's definitely an issue. So you need more qubits. That's why D-Wave is, I think, successful in what they are doing. And of course, we have these digital annealers that are trying to do the same from the classical side. But with D-Wave, you can actually do, for example, uh, we are doing a feature selection, which is an optimization problem that could apply to machine learning stuff uh, with D-Wave. And it's working pretty well, okay? But in terms of classification models, great scoring, fraud detection, even chart prediction, uh, the, some of the models, especially the variational classifiers, have this thing which is called Barren Plateau. So if you reach 20 qubits, 22, 23 qubits, this is not working better. So actually, you can take advantage of this lower range of qubits to simulate and see some results because at the end, the representation that you can apply uh, to the, I don't know, data points that you have to train a model could be even better just using, for example, in the case of quantum super vector classifier, just this quantum kernel. And this can allow you to have better separability, for example, in the data. So even using two qubits, we have tests. Actually, the, the, the paper that I published last year was related to how you can create dimensionality reduction for a larger set for pre-scoring and also uh, run a model that is like having a great AUC, great results in terms of classification using only two qubits. So it's, it's definitely possible. So if the model reaches a barren plateau at 20 or 22 qubits, then are we essentially at the realm of quantum-inspired algorithms? Because you can take that quantum algorithm, run it on a classical computer. You could use tensor networks on a classical computer. Would that be good enough for uh, real-life use cases? Yeah, the thing with uh, it's kind of quantum-inspired in a general sense, right? Because in the case of what we're doing in simulators, this can be switched to, I don't know, a real quantum computer pretty fast. Of course, you need to adequate a few things, of course, but we, you can do that. Actually, we are testing, for example, with Oxford quantum circuits, some of the things that we are running on simulators today. So it's something that we're always testing and see how we can take advantage of both sides. But in terms of quantum inspires, there are kind of different techniques because you're not like changing the backend and pointing to a quantum computer. Mainly you are grabbing the like a structure of how you can use quantum computing in general and apply this, like you said, using tensor networks and similar things. So I think the approach of quantum inspired in general is one of the biggest responses for, especially this year and probably the next, considering what you can run in simulators or what are specifically quantum inspired solutions. When people talk about um, machine learning, they often talk about classification problems and about prediction problems. Absolutely. Do you feel that quantum is better for one type versus the other? Uh, I think it can be used 
can be useful in both sides because uh, I like this term about quantum assisted machine learning. So I don't want to, I try to avoid the quantum machine learning in general because I think where they're not competing, right? So you can grab pieces of what quantum can provide in terms of advantage and put this together with like classical machine learning methods. The quantum uh, classif like the quantum support vector classifier is a great example. You are not running actually a hybrid algorithm at the end. It's a regular uh, SVC, but you're applying a quantum kernel on top. So ideally, I think both sides can have this kind of representation of data using your feature maps, your encoding, different things that can give you a little bit of advantage in terms of how you are going to detect one class from the other or like do a proper prediction at the end. When you look at some of the famous classical models, you know, GPT-4, they have billions of parameters take forever to yeah. train. And, and we are very far in terms of orders of magnitudes from the number of qubits relative to the parameters. So what is it about quantum that makes it possible to do, to get real results with such a limited number of qubits? Yeah, this is the, this is like the classical discussion about how much we need to wait with NISC machines, what will be a post-NISC machine, and when we will have the full tolerance, right? So I think for now, if you need like uh, features or each data point to be like encoded in one qubit, for example, this is a nightmare. So actually we cannot reach that uh, in, a, in a near term, I guess. So I think uh, there's kind of a part of the hype, I, I will say, in terms of, okay, a lot of people want to connect LLMs and generative models with quantum computing. So actually I know since I just published a book about uh, like quantum modeling using, uh, like financial modeling using quantum computing, uh, the same publisher said, oh, you can actually try to write a book about GPT-4, GPT-3, and actually what is happening with quantum computing. And I, we responded, it's not the right time. We cannot explain anything about this. It's purely hype, I guess, for now, you what? You mentioned the book, so congratulations. I have it in front of me, Financial Modeling Using Quantum Computing. How's exactly. that come about? And, and what do I find inside? What do I find inside the book? Yes, it's a, it's a book designed to, to actually to uh, reach a layman person, right? So you don't need to be a specialist, an expert in physics or in quantum or whatever. So ideally, you should have a little bit of Python experience. That, that will be good. But uh, we introduced you to like the current biggest, I don't know, classical problems or financial services and how you can tackle these using the common libraries, which is Qiskit or Penny Lane or like others that are really useful these days to program using Python and uh, trying to tackle these like problems, like uh, derivatives pricing, like uh, portfolio optimization, quantum uh, computing applied to classification models, things like that. And at the end of the book, we'll explain how you can surpass the barriers of quantum computing these days to be implemented in your companies. So how you should train your people, how you should develop your use cases, how you can, I don't know, proceed with a plan and so on and so forth. So that's the idea. So it's a, a little bit of like business approach, but a strong foundation in like coding and how you can apply some of these like techniques in the current days. 
When I go to quantum conferences these days, there's a great deal of interest in case studies. So everyone sort of understands that there's potential and they know all the hardware and software vendors pretty much, but they want to see, they want to hear about real life results that real companies had real problems and they try to tackle them with quantum and what level of success did they have. Can you share some of the case studies that you've been involved with? Yes, absolutely. Part of the book uh, uh, include a little bit of these cases, but uh, to go deeper in a few of them, I'm working currently with uh, neobanks in Brazil, with uh, neobanks in Portugal. And in the case of Brazil, to, to go deeper on this, um, they are applying quantum feature selection, right? Using D-Way, for example. And it's giving advantage a little bit. So it's slightly giving you advantage in terms of how you can analyze the outcome of the model as a whole for gray scoring, for example, by applying like optimization in the terms of feature selection. And also for a year now, they're testing classification models. Suddenly for the banking sector, you cannot apply a model that you cannot interpret. That's why a lot of people are using XGBOOS or linear regressors or things like that to explain, okay, actually this is the feature important. This is the details about, about why I approve or reject you. But in terms of quantum, this will not replace a credit scoring system, but could be something useful for limit definition in terms of credit cards, like installment amount in terms of loans, for example. So can give you, if it's precise enough, can give you some advantages in lateral, I mean, like processes that the banking are, are running. So that's one case that... Yeah, this uh, is one case. Second. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm not participating directly on this, but from Brazil as well. I know that Itaú, for example, is uh, is having a case that is um, improving the performance of the churn prediction. So they can understand better which kind of people is like potentially leaving uh, the bank. And uh, I think the increase was some something like 2% in the performance. So the precision I mean of the model. So this is another case. Um, and again, actually, I mentioned this one from Brazil, this, this Neobank, which is um, creating procedure not only for credit scoring and not only for classification, but feature selection in general. So this can be applied to fraud detection as well and like even monitoring the portfolio. And uh, the other case is uh, optimization in general. So I, we have some clients in Latin America that are working for option pricing, derivatives pricing. And um, they're regularly doing the, this Monte Carlo stuff and trying to do like all their analysis using Excel. And they are seeing some good results using like, for example, D-Wave uh, like implementations. For such a bank, any of the three, how long does it take from deciding to do a proof of concept to having a, a system that actually performs? Yeah, uh, I think if you go directly saying, oh, you should implement quantum now, uh, they won't believe you. So I think uh, the approach that we are following is like, let me analyze your machine learning systems. So how they are working, how they operate, how they can be improved. And on top of that, we propose, okay, what if we add this as a part of your architecture? So what if you we add like, I don't know, um, a quantum like feature selector or a quantum classifier or whatever that we can add or some optimization in the middle that can uh, be tested alongside like classical methods. 
but we are not pushing to like replace anything that they have directly or try to implement it from this from one day to another. In terms of like uh, the IP, so they are not looking, they are looking for vendors or consultancy companies or similar to that, that can help them to implement quantum stuff, but they need to, they want to uh, grab the, a little bit of the IP. So we, we actually need to train the teams. We need to give them the sense that they are understanding what they are doing, and then they can actually participate in the implementation. It's like a knowledge transfer and not only like implement this black box and then leave them with this uh, package. So that's very interesting. So they either need to have quantum understanding or you train them for quantum understanding so they can exactly. participate in the project. Yeah, it's, I, I am seeing like at, with, uh, uh, at first sight what I'm seeing in the last, I don't know, three, four months about implementing these things. The whole game change when they actually understand what is a quantum annealer, how we optimize, how this like energy going down, the lower energy is the best solution because of what. So if they understand what is underneath this, and also they understand the limitation, because we need to be honest and transparent, they probably will go for this uh, at a fair price, of course, because I know that some people actually is like charging a lot of money for some POCs or things like that. We actually try to, I don't know, provide our pricing really close to what is implementation of machine learning. And if things are improving and we need to keep improving this solution for them, probably then we will charge more money. To what extent is the implementation unique to every bank? Or for instance, once you've done credit scoring, I'm sure that many banks use a lot of the same parameters for credit score. So how easy it is for you to take a solution that you've developed with one bank and assuming you have the permission and the IP right, take it to another bank. Yeah, the, actually the core solutions are kind of public because Qiskit is like more or less open source, right? So you can implement the things that the core part will be almost the same. But if you want to play with re uh, dimensionality reduction or you want to play with the feature maps or you want to play with some like parameters turning or whatever you want to do, this is like classical implementation similar to machine learning. So you start adapting the features that they have, understanding how you can represent this better, like in quantum states, using encodings, then running the best algorithm possible, adjusting short iterations, so a lot of things. So I'm not concerned about like, like exchanging or like moving one IP from the IP from one side to the other, but actually it's like um, we are uh, using the regular like implementation stuff from machine learning, but just adapting the SDKs that are being used to, to quantum computing. So at the end, it's another very similar adaptation uh, with regards to what you have in machine learning, but using quantum techniques. I understand. And for if, to the extent you can tell me with pricing, I'm sure you charge something for setting up the solution, but do banks go for something like a per transaction pricing where they say, okay, if we run so many credit scores through it, then you, you get a little bit for every time or for every thousand or every million that we do? No, currently what we're doing uh, at Stafford Computing, which is my company, is that we are uh, like regularly charging per hour. 
So we create a package of ours and we help them to improve their models, classical methods, and also implementing quantum machine, uh, quantum machine learning. But uh, we are also currently developing an SDK, an SDK which is called Falcondale, as an SDK that allows you to set up some parameters, adding your database or CSV or whatever you have in Python, and you just put play and run everything in our system. So QSBC or quantum feature selection or quantum neural networks or variations, whatever you want. And then we send you the result. In that case, we are aiming to charge later for predictions. So you can grab our systems, like our models, they will be serialized. And then you just, just need to run and predict every time that you have eventually a customer that is coming and you need to evaluate them. You just predict with our system and we charge a little bit of this uh, uh, prediction price. So that's the that's the idea. It's a kind of a parallel track. It's more like a quantum software as a service. Uh, but currently, the main inflow of work is coming from the consultancy services. As we get closer to the end of our conversation, I'm curious, in the book, you mentioned many different applications in financial services. There's credit scoring and there's option pricing and portfolio balancing and, and many, many others. Do you see, which applications do you see as more popular these days as getting more traction with customers? I think um, the, the optimization problems, I will say that are more mature. Why? Because we have D-Wave. Sure that D-Wave is the older like hardware company in terms of quantum computing. And they are pushing for a long time to actually implement real quantum like computing cases in terms of annealers. So I think optimization is the more mature. Uh, they are even pushing for like narrow solutions. They are having this feature selection, like a sidekick learn plugin. So they are working towards implementing this faster and through like regular procedures for a data scientist, for example. So I will say that optimization is the more mature. But I think quantum machine learning in terms of classification and all these cases that we are talking about, they are promising also. But sadly, we need to wait for like better machines to run and scale with this. And potentially not only that, like better algorithms, which is the, the other side of the, of the coin that we need to keep pushing. And if I may, I'd like to ask you a hypothetical question. So if you could have dinner with one of the quantum greats, dead or alive, who would that person be? Um, it, <laughs> a lot of people would say Feynman, but, uh, but to be honest, I had not directly in-person classes with Peter Shore. I have a, like a MIT like, like program, educational program that I, uh, I follow, and uh, their classes were awesome. So really clear, really great ideas, strong opinions, so I think he's one of the like contemporary like fathers of quantum computing. So I will say Peter Shore. Fantastic. Uh, Javier, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks to you, Joval. Nice, it was a complete pleasure.